Join me, Professor RPG, as I sit down with friends, colleagues, and special guests as we reminisce and discuss role-playing games that left their mark on us. Expect to see all sorts, from western style to Japanese and even tabletop. So stay a while and listen, and let us trigger those memories of tales long since completed. Relive that fantasy you hold dear, and come along with us, adventurer, on this quest into the past. Welcome to the RPG University. Hey, give it back already! Boys, one in this number, then show me a move. Think you can keep up? Class is in session, and today we're calling out through the ages with a thousand words or less. As always, I'm your host, Scott White, also known as Professor RPG, and this week I have the pleasure of welcoming to the university staff writer at Kotaku and a pretty damn good Street Fighter player, Ken Shepard, to help me celebrate the 20th anniversary of Final Fantasy X-2. How's it going, Ken? Yeah, it was very kind of you to introduce me as a damn good Street Fighter player. You are! I played a few rounds last night because I have been away from the game for a minute, and I am so out of practice. And it's kind of upsetting because I want to play that game. I love like that is like one of my favorite games of this year. And just like I'm getting my ass handed to me in a way that I have not felt in a very long time. <laughs> and that's what happens when I like take a like two months Get away to go play other shit. No, it's it's been a very busy fall. I'm right there with mm-hmm. you. I have I can't mm-hmm. remember the last time I played six, but uh yeah, I'm probably just as equally rusty, so I know the pain. But good to have you here um as a fellow Final Fantasy ten to stand. How's it going? Uh, you know, you, you know the vibes. They're rancid yeah. all around the internet. So yeah, what we are we're trying to hold it together best we can. Hold the line, yeah. Hold the line. Pretty much, pretty much. But yes, this week we are here to celebrate Final Fantasy X-2, which is seeing its twentieth anniversary. Holy cow! On November eighteenth, so just a few short days after this episode launches. So figured we may as well talk about it. So, like I said, this initially launched in Japan on March 13th, 2003, November 18th, 2003 in the U.S. Australia got it on February 19th, 2004, and the rest of Europe on February 20th of 2004. Japan got also a special international plus last mission release of it on February 19th, 2004, which added a bunch of um, additions and fixes from the uh, Western version of the game, plus a brand new last mission like tower climbing secondary game and then eventually we got a bunch of ports to this in the x uh the 10 10 2 hd collection uh on ps3 and ps4 um but yes initially releasing 20 years ago this week some other games that also were released in 2003 that you might have been playing include prince of persia the sands of time star wars the knights of old republic warcraft 3 the frozen throne Hit Simpsons Hit and Run, Mega Man Battle Network 3, Beautiful Joe, Mario and Luigi, Superstar Staga, Final Fantasy Tactics Advance, and I believe also Legend of Zelda Wind Waker. So pretty busy year. But Ken, year. were you playing any of these games or like what games from this list or others were you spending a lot of your time with back in 20, uh, 2003? So I mean, it was funny looking at this list because I played a majority of these to some degree. Like I didn't finish most of them, but like I... This was definitely like around the time where my brother and I were renting a lot of shit from a mm-hmm. local store. So I kind of like all, a lot of these games passed through uh, my my consoles uh, during that year. So I definitely played Santa Time, Kotor, 
Simpsons hit and run, weirdly enough, because we, we were not a Simpsons family. Uh, uh, a lot of Beautiful Joe uh, and Tactics, Tactics Advance remains like a staple for me in all of Final so Fantasy. Good. So good. Yeah. Such, such solid games. Um, yeah, Tactics Advance was fantastic. Beautiful Joe, I would kill for a new Beautiful Joe game. Mm-hmm. I loved the first and second game of those. Um, and yeah, just a really stacked year. And uh, didn't you just like have an article come out today about revisiting kotor or was yeah, that someone was, else that that was that was me it was a uh, total recall video over tiktok we did this sort of series where we look back at old games and kind of had a conversation about like how that game holds up why it's interesting looking back on old star wars shit when when now star wars is like part of the disney machine that has this entire like interwoven universe bullshit uh and so it was just like interesting to look back on as like a company that's kind of like had the license to do whatever they wanted in that world and come up with something that didn't feel like it had to be beholden to like a set of rules that disney probably has in some bible somewhere i know back when the extended expanded universe still was a thing rip mm-hmm. kyle katarn um <laughs> but yes we are here to talk about the gull wings themselves yuna riku pain brother and shinra and the rest of the crew so when I put out the call of who loves, uh, who else was a big fan of Final Fantasy X two, you were the first one to respond, mm-hmm. and and I knew you loved the soundtrack because when we've done mm-hmm. karaoke at Paxes and stuff, we always try, uh, or you always request ten two songs like a thousand words and whatnot. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. is it about ten two that really grabbed you? Like, why uh, do you well, love ten two? So, so I think I have like two answers to this. One is like what I felt in the moment twenty years, twenty fucking years ago. Uh, and what I feel now, just because I, I, you know, when you're an adult, things start to yeah. take on more like concrete meanings and that they maybe were like abstract sort of thoughts you had as a child. Because um, I think like Tenshu is, when it, when I when it first came out, like I was sort of, I was still fairly new to Final Fantasy. Um, my like way in was through Kingdom Hearts where I like played those games. And then I was like, oh, all these characters come from these games. And so we rented whichever, you know, we could find. And 10 was like the the one that was, readily available so we played a lot of that and then so by the time that 10-2 was coming out like i was one like i was the most excited i had been for a video game probably at that age and it got we were like when our when the uh the video store that we went to got it we went there the first day it was gone naturally like somebody got there before yeah. we, had, we couldn't go in until after school so obviously somebody had like several hours to get there before we did but i called that store every goddamn day <laughs> to see if it if it was back and then finally, the day that it finally was in, uh, we, we walked in and just asked about it. Like, we had a, we didn't call ahead of time, just, like, preparing ourselves to be disappointed. And they were like, yeah, we figured that you would be coming because you'd been calling every day. So we held it for you so you wouldn't have to, you know, get here and then be sad. Um, so back then, I think, you know, as a, as a small child that doesn't think that hard about a lot of things, I think at the time I was just very excited to see Yuna again and you and Riku. Yeah meet pain you know see how spirit is you know after all this other stuff has happened um and one of the core memories i have is i think that it did unlock my musical ear in a way that i mm-hmm. did not it necessarily had not at that point in my life um because like i still like in, in another life i was actually part of uh, my high, my high school's music department growing up i was initially going to be uh, a music teacher before i switched over to games media which you know i, I have a real knack for picking uh, job markets that are like really healthy and thriving as you can really tell. stable too mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really stable yeah uh and i still attribute a lot of 
my musical tendencies to tend to soundtracks, like the very melodic, poppy mm-hmm. uh, sound that it goes for, as opposed to like the very orchestral sound that Ten had. But I think growing up and just like looking back on those games a lot, and like it, it, this is a audio podcast, so this doesn't mean anything. But like I, I have a Xander Knaves tattoo, which I kind of use tattoos to mark like significant games or media that has affected my worldview in some way, and because. 10 and 10 2 collectively make up this, you know, like there's this arc of a universe and a character in the center of Yuna of removing yourself from, you know, systems that, you know, are very fatalistic, that are based in lies or what, you know, people perceive to be lies. And 10 2 is all about like finding yourself after you have removed yourself from those systems. And that, what makes 10 2, I think, edge out 10 for me in terms of it being my favorite Final Fantasy is that. I like the exploration of Yuna finding who she is in this world and how that is so interwoven mechanically into this game as well, because like it takes a quote unquote open world format, you know, not in yeah. the way that we know that term to be today, but in terms of like, you can go anywhere, you can do anything and you can do anything in any order that you want to do. But you also have the dress spheres that you can decide how you basically like how you walk through this world. Like, what does it mean to be you? Who are you in this yeah. world? And that is just something that still resonates with me 20 years later. And has elevated it to my my favorite Final Fantasy game ever. And I think I also, and like we just did a, just, it was like two years ago at this point, <laughs> we did a season of Normandy FM, which is the, the podcast that I host with Irvin Allen, where we did a year-long retrospective of 10 and 10 2. And I think in the years that have, in, in the years since, I've, I personally feel, and this might be controversial to you, to your listeners, I feel like Final Fantasy has very much lost its way, not even in the way, like some people are like mad about like 16 being an action game. I think my issue with ten, with Final Fantasy right now is more in that like they are doing all this extended universe nonsense that it does not feel like they tell the same like very concise mm-hmm. stories with a thesis with something that like is woven into the way that you play those games. And 10 and 10 2 just feel like so concise. They understand themselves so well like all the things that even get on people's nerves about the game are like so intentional and built into just like the fabric of those games um so yeah that's my like long-winded answer of why tend to i think sticks out to me both like personally but also as like i think a very singular moment for the franchise where i think it was square adding on to things in a way that felt very intentional felt very much like they were building towards something like they had you know their you know their, their heads wrapped around what made the source material so effective where I, I just get very bothered by like and this also bleeds into yeah. 10 because like they've been doing a lot of extended universe nonsense with that game as well uh that has kind of that again to me is just like a, a way of showing like oh this this series kind of has lost its way in terms of what i took from it but yeah that's my that's my very long answer for you no i, I think it's a really interesting perspective and point you bring up it, it's I mean, back in the PS2 days, I mean, this Final Fantasy X-2 was the first mm-hmm. direct sequel mm-hmm. to a Final Fantasy game. And back then, everything was looked at under the guise of, it, this is a one-off kind of story. We need clear, concise. It, whereas today, everything is so viewed as of how could we potentially turn this single game into a franchise or thinking right. of it as we live in a games as a service world where mm-hmm. everyone's, how can we extend the life of this game, et cetera, as cost to games go up. 
Whereas, like you said, there was such a clear, concise, they knew what they were making, an all-encompassing story. And this was the first that broke away and uh, tested and experimented with, but what happens after? And I think this is one of the games that has so much more meaning and you get such a different perspective from it when you do play it when you're older. Um, I replayed this a few years ago and I remember, so this game initially came out when I was a sophomore in high school Mm. and my view then is like, Oh, this is okay. Oh man. Riku pain, you know, they're hot and okay, this is weird. (laughs) I don't, they're dancing, but whatever. It's a final fantasy. Whereas now when I play it and I'm, I'm curious if you got kind of the same idea and kind of vibes is, it's so much more of, like you said, a unit discovering herself, like after mm-hmm. being able to get rid of and actually live her life, considering right. up until 10, it was always she was working to die. Like right. her her mission, she had a defined endpoint. She was going to summon the final Aeon. She was going to die. And then the rest of her friends would live on and have peace for a while. And then that all shattered. And now it's her being able to kind of discover herself, discover what she wants to be Mm -hmm. and really ask those questions for the first time, which is a thing people our age can appreciate more because we've gone through that and kind of see that happening. And it's so much more of a rich and deep experience playing it through playing through 10 to having been through those questions and being older than I ever got when I was you know, in high school, I just like the, the job system and the combat yeah. and in everything going on. It's, it's yeah, a think, deep game. Yeah. And I think it's, and like, I've almost like, it's, one, it's an article that I've been trying to like get off the ground for like years at this point, but how like the analogy between, between Yuna's journey and like, say like a queer person's journey of like, you know, being very much held into the system that they're told like, okay, you have to be X, Y, and Z. This is how your life has to be. And then tends to just be in this like complete, like it not even, I mean, it's it's rebellious in a way, but it's more just like there's like a freedom to what these characters are experiencing mm-hmm. to, to like, you know, take a completely like, you know, to take a left turn and like completely shed any notion of what this, they thought they had to be to just find out who they want to be. And mm-hmm. again, like that, that, that and what's I, I think one of my biggest takeaways having replayed the game recently is just like, how again, like how interwoven that is into the systems of the game, because you know, we find the, the job system, uh, we, we find like dressers that we like and we stick with those because those are the ones that resonate with our play style, but that's probably not what it's going to be for everybody. And cause like, I, I think they even did like a really good job of balancing the dress mm-hmm. to the point where they are all very viable. And like, you can have a playthrough that is very markedly different than someone else's. And just like, again, like that's, it, it, it's like a sort of cohesive narrative and, design that you're just not getting with Final Fantasy these days. And like that even that even was the case in the original 10, which was, you know, it gets a lot of shit for being like a hallway game, but you're that those characters mm-hmm. on the pilgrimage, they are they are going from a journey from one place to the other. So like it makes sense that like structurally that is how the game works. And yeah, so it's just like I I I, I kind of resent I don't know what I mean I kind of, I I explicitly resent a lot of people that you know, we're like, oh, Final Fantasy X was like an unnecessary sequel. It's too girly, blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, okay, one, like, cal- calm down, sir. Like, you're <laughs> like, there yeah. are a bunch of women on the cover. What did you think was going to happen? But also just like, 
it willing to be like so experimental in everything that it was doing because those, that's what those characters were experiencing and that's just the arc of the universe that, that it the story revolves around yeah replaying it and kind of revisiting i remember being excited it's like oh man what's what's the dress sphere with like shoot or the character that ends up being shooting is like oh is tita still alive like i remember mm-hmm. that being such a huge focus and wanting to get to the bottom of that but as I was getting ready for this episode and kind of really thinking back, I wish that this game hadn't been set up that it was Yuna wanting to find her boyfriend. Like, sure. I wish it was I, mm. much more of like a natural, her just wanting to like go out and kind of do this, that like these things with her friends, like just explore and be free. And without that, Oh, I want to figure out what happened to my boyfriend. Sure, I so so to to give you like one of my yeah. one of my hot takes. I don't really feel like the ending of ten where Tia's disappears adds much to that game for me because I, to me it yeah. feels like twisting the knife in a way that just never felt necessary. So for me, I like that Tenchu has this air of selfishness to it that you mm-hmm. is like allowed to want things for herself again. Actually, okay, like she lost so like that that last like hour of 10 is just her losing things it is her losing mm-hmm. all her aeons it's losing Titus. it's losing like the stability that she thought she had in like just her entire worldview everything is losing because like she is basically learning like t- to rid myself of this system that has i've been beholden to forever i have to lose things that matter to me mm-hmm. and for me i really liked and again, this will just to get to the end of the to yep. talk about the end of the game when Titus comes back. I really like that he came back, not because I was like, oh, a happy ending that we all deserve because I need this fandom give me of the thing that mm-hmm. made me sad at being erased. Where I feel like Yuna wanting things for herself and like wanting to like you know because like that that is a lot of a lot of her arc in this game is that she is kind of being like pulled back into the politics of Spira because she is mm-hmm. for so many people. And I think I just love that she, in the end is like, it's time for me to go home. And she pieces out and she, then she gets her boyfriend back and just kind of being like, no, I didn't have to lose everything to have the life that I wanted because that is again, like that is still like, yeah. you're, you're breaking the cycle, but you're still beholden to it in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so I just kind of like that declaration into is like, no, we don't have to lose pieces of ourselves to save ourselves from people that have oppressed us our entire lives so i like i get like the sort of like surface level feeling that you know oh 10 just erases what made 10 so tragic but like one like the, the tragic thing about 10 was not that Titus died because that was like this weird b plot that they introduced that never really felt like it yeah even fit into anything else that was going on like i i i like a lot of the, the sort of ideas that it's playing with uh, I guess as far as it, as it pertains to Titus, but I, I, again, like, I don't really, I feel like you could have, I don't know, like, and, you know, you can, you can go hear me ramble about this on, on Normandy FM until, <laughs> like, the very nitty gritty of every single fucking scene. But yeah, like, my broad, my broad feeling is that, like, to me, it's less Yuna being like, oh, I want my boyfriend back. She's like, no, I want the life that I want that has been taken from me back. That's a really good way to look at it. I didn't think of it that way, but no, yeah. that that's very insightful that's that's a interesting twist on the thought i like that that Mm. makes a lot more sense um so besides like the uh the tone and stuff what was it like for you to 
like with sequels like this where you revisit a lot of locations and characters is is that something you enjoy doing or are you more of a i wish it was just a new game like like brand new like yeah. final fantasy 11 like what's your approach like take or thoughts on just direct sequels in general like this i think in broadly my my my, my broad vision of that question is like I, I i like when things are new i like when people make mm-hmm. new things i think like the general franchising of it, it it's something like we're dealing a lot with mass effect right now is it like i i think a lot of people are kind of willing to just take more of whatever is given to them but so it will be more of the thing that they like where i'm maybe more reserved and like i if this kind of like feels like a step from the legacy of the past games i'm maybe not that interested mm-hmm. um, and i think for me tend to manage to, to strike a pretty good balance again and this comes kind of comes back to what we're saying we're just like it felt very intentional it felt like it was you know really adding to the story that was written initially instead of just feeling like they bolted this on the side of it so they could put another video game out and charge yeah. people 50 dollars for it um so I, th- I think there is a there's a balance that i think tend to strikes very well uh although I, again like my, my broad sentiment is make new things um and that again that also comes to like mm-hmm. my my larger problem with final fantasy right now is that there's this weird lack of desire to make new things like we have like a almost like seven to eight year cycle at this point for like a final fantasy game um mm-hmm. and yeah that i think comes into some of my problems with like say the 13 trilogy which i do adore i, I adore adore those games despite the fact that they are very divisive for rightfully so uh, except for Lightning Returns, which is perfect and the best the best single player Final Fantasy game to come out in the past fifteen years, um, there's like a a sort of feeling that Square seems to have lately of like they don't want to let go of something too early, or and you know that that mm-hmm. manifests in different ways. Where okay, they made three they made three thirteen games, but then fifteen they made DLC to but to the point that it, like it went beyond the scope of what they were willing willing to do and and canceling some of that shit. So I think like broadly. Final Fantasy is very fraught when it comes to continuation of things. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I, again, like, I, I think that's one of the many reasons that I hold Tintu in such high regard because it just felt like it knew what it was doing. It felt like it knew what it was here for. Yeah. One of the things I, I loved, and you touched a bit about this, is the dress sphere system. This was mm-hmm. the return to a job system or a job class system that really the u.s hadn't seen well any of the final fantasy games had really seen since final fantasy 5 i mean this was a big deal mm-hmm. atb being back was a big deal i remember back in uh like with marketing and whatnot yeah. uh i love the job system games like if mm-hmm. you put and really i think this is rpgs in general but if a game has a job system i love it i think they add so much flexibility and replayability uh like because like you mentioned it they're balanced in a way that you can really pick and choose and play how you want. And I think that's mm-hmm. what I appreciate most about job system versions. Right. Uh, I remember the, one of the last times I played through 10 I just randomly gave myself and like, okay, I can only use job these three jobs, the entire game. And I was able mm-hmm. to do it. And yeah. I just love the added sense of replayability that simply mm-hmm. a job system provides. What's your kind of take? Yeah. What was your take on the adjustment and change to the gameplay um, like with combat in 10-2? 
at the time, well, actually, no, I'd gone back and played like seven, eight. So like I was familiar with ATV as a concept, but it was like a very jarring change for me in terms of going from 10 to 10 2. Um, which, you know, I, I definitely mm-hmm. came around and I think like even in the other ATV games, like 10 2 is like just very fast paced in a way that I really came around on. Um, with Dress Fears, that was just like such an interesting concept to me, which was fairly like alien to me at that point because I, mm-hmm. I had not played like 10 or ATV, I had not played five. Uh, at the time and I think there was there was just like this and this was again this was coming from like you know the early 2000s like mid 90s of like these uh these like I, I don't want to sound like dismissive by saying this but like quote-unquote like girl power trio shows of like mm-hmm. early spies powerpuff girls and like which I charlie's watched, angels watched yeah um and you know I watched a lot of those as kids so like the vibes were just there for me to be like really into okay I am switching outfits to change the way that I play. And, you know, I, I never turned off the um, the dress for animations because I always like watching them mm-hmm. play out every time because like it just brought so much character to those combat roles in a way that was really cool to like watch even like, okay, like a very stoic character like Payne take on the songstress uh, persona, for lack of a better term. And, yeah. you know, all her abilities change up and just the way that she interacts on the field be different. So like, I think, the added presentational quality just like really helped me buy into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, as far as like how I played, I, I think there were, I mean, over the years, cause I've, I've replayed this game several times. I think one of the most memorable playthroughs I had was, but I was, I was still probably like in fifth grade or so where I gave myself this sort of like rule that I was going to use quote unquote weaker classes to beat the mm-hmm. whole game. So like I used, I had unit on lady luck. I had Riku on white mage and I had, pain on gun mage so like i had no like heavy hitting like tank characters and it was like i want to see if this is something i can do and i did it and it was and like even to this day like i still very much associate those classes with those characters because that was how i set them up for you know a a very long Mm -hmm. playthrough and even replaying it now i I still kind of like mentally map those onto those characters even though like now that i'm an adult that like maybe pays more attention to the numbers going up and down like i was like oh there's maybe more even but yeah. it's, it's like the alchemist is probably like the best healer in that game um even more than a white mage but it is like so you, you know you have to grind a little bit yeah. to get it to that level where you know white mage is very much like baseline you're getting you got healing magic you are set on that for a while um where i think that it's just like you know you have to really invest in each dress sphere to get to you know the really high level play that you can get with all of those and it's just like a very rewarding system because like even like say like you have peach you have hit the wall you have leveled up you have all the abilities just change to another dress fear do it again uh so it's just like it's very dense in terms of like what it allows you to do and the the game itself is like has mm-hmm. so much shit going on that you can you always have something to grind on you have something to uh you know, really fill out a character's uh, garment grid and you know, have this really powerful character uh, that can do a lot of things and not really ever be beholden to any one thing. Yeah. And I remember on the topic of garment grid, like not getting whatsoever the bo- the bonuses that you could mm-hmm. get by like mm-hmm. swapping jaw or the swapping the dress spheres in a right. single battle to get different bonuses. So there was a bunch of depth there too if you wanted to to utilize it, but in no way forced to do it, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things, uh, as the big music uh, aficionado, 
talk to me about the soundtrack, this fantastic soundtrack. Oh, absolutely. Bangers. All bangers. All bangers. Because, um, so, like, and it, it again, it comes into the world building of Spira. I think it's that, like, you have this world that is, like, changing culturally. So I think just, like, generally the music needs to change because music changes as culture changes. And so it's, like, it's very much like a, a J-pop. It's got, like, elements of jazz and um, just, it, it's, it's, like, so eclectic while mm-hmm. also being just feeling like very true to the the vibes of the game like i, I still um you know like there are the, the vocal tracks which are like one one side of it but just like the, the score itself just mm-hmm. like joy and character to it and bounce to it like a unit theme in this game is like burned to my fucking skull and i hear it 20 years later it's just in the midst of doing whatever uh the um the uh the intro song uh it's got like a it's got like a really long name it's like light waves or um, something like that um i think it's maybe one of the best main menu songs in all the video games maybe i think it's definitely in that conversation um so like the way it tends to juxtapose like the really like poppy uh tracks with the very very melodic like even more melodic i'd say than your average final fantasy like i just feel like it really delves into mm-hmm. a lot of really memorable but still still like very um like they're very memorable melodies on top of just being like perfectly punctuating every moment that they're used um, yeah Yuna's ballad as it's called is which plays in a lot of the more emotional themes again like seared into my brain um but it is i, I think a lot of people n- best know the vocal tracks of real emotion and a thousand words and i was like you mentioned karaoke like i was at a karaoke bar here in new york that had it in their catalog and so i was like move everybody <laughs> out of the fucking way uh, and i put it on there but like they had it in on their list but they did not actually have it loaded into the system so uh. biggest letdown of like the past year of me doing karaoke with people um but those songs like i i think they i, I think it was, it's a very bold thing for this game to do in its very first scene with who appears to be yuna opening like she literally sheds her summoner's guard for the songstress outfit and performs like the absolute catchiest pop song you've ever heard in an RPG. Uh, and just like really like making sure, you know, like, Hey, this is not just more of the same. This is very much like the, the vibes are different and mm-hmm. they're better. They are campy. They are extremely fucking gay. And <laughs> it's like, I get, I, I I get very animated about it because I, I I just love the music. It's like such a vibe. But it oh yeah, like it, coming back to it, it just it perfectly encapsulates the change of this world in a way. Mm-hmm. That, again, like it's very easy to dismiss this as like oh this is like a weird weird girly pop game for gays and girls and theys. And I, I think that's kind of like something that kind of lingers over the game. It's just very feeling of like trying to like i think for lack of a better term like other the game as this thing that is not for everyone like it's not for all the final fantasy fans it's for like a very specific audience i just don't think that's true i think like again like one get over yourself too but also just like really you know get get sink your fucking nails into the depth of the story that the music even tells like that yeah this isn't just you know they're trying to like appeal to a certain audience like this is a pretty natural extension and evolution of this world that manifests in a banger pop concert at the very beginning. I know. It, what a great way to clearly show 
like right from the get go, it's like this is not ten. Like this right. is not Final Fantasy ten. Like you leave off with Yuna and the team like feeling reward that they handled sin, but also sad because they lost Titus and everything in the process. And then this game just hits you right in the face with a pop con, like a like you said, a banger pop concert, and you get the why is Yuna fighting? Like what's going on? And mm-hmm. very disorienting. Yeah, it's but it so clearly shows gives like you said, it shows you the change that Spira has gone through. Mm-hmm. Like you go through ten seeing people upset, villages destroyed, everyone getting ready and like hoping for this next calm to happen. All very tense. There's a lot of anxiety and tense feelings around mm-hmm. that. This intro just clearly says people can have fun now. Mm-hmm. People are doing their own shit. There's this random giant robot drummer with hologram backup dancers. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's a good time. Um, yeah, it's it. And I'm right now I have up in the background. It's Eternity Memory of Light Waves. This yes. is the, the menu theme. And it. you're right. It is. It's almost so different from that pop music that you get mm. to experience in a lot of the game, it's much more of that kind of somber and reflective mm. tone to it. Um, mm. Kind of slows you down and makes you introspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, oh, so, good. so good. So, so good. So one of the things that has always, and I think this is arguably one of the worst aspects of Final Fantasy X 2 is the absurdity you have to kind of go through in order to get the 100%, like, to Mm -hmm. max out the percentage. Mm -hmm. It's, like, the incredibly convoluted and small details or things that are so easily skippable that will completely lock you out of, like, the secret ending or or things Mm -hmm. like that. Like, seeing, finding Mm -hmm. Yuna in the Moogle outfit right at the beginning of the game. You missed that. Oh, well, you're fucked. <laughs> yeah, that's that's almost like infamous at this point, as, as like a, a point in this game where it feels like the game is just like throwing middle fingers up at you. Like, now yeah. you have to play the entire game over again. Yeah. And I think that's like, that's one of the things that really sticked out to me going back to play the game now is that it feels like we are in an era where games are not meant to be quote unquote replayed in the same way that they were 20 yeah. years ago, where I think... 10 to is very much of an era of like oh this is like the new game plus like you go and play this game in cycles until you see everything where um, i can't even really think of like a, a, another rpg that's kind of like analogous to this but just kind of a um like an open world rpg of today wouldn't like gate you by time passing it would like have this giant map that you could like clear off everything on the map for um and you would never really be like quote unquote locked out of something um, mm-hmm. I feel like that's in a it's respectful of your time in a way that Tintu is not. Um, although open world games, by just like definition, are kind of like disrespectful of your time. But that's another conversation. But th- this that kind of structure that Tintu has, where you have to do like all of these things that are gated by the passage of time in chapters. Um, just just feels very much of like an era of when games were like, oh, we have to design this in a way that somebody will play it repeatedly uh, 
Mm-hmm. So they feel like they're getting the most out of it and won't, won't, you know, won't take it to a GameStop. Yeah. I I wish that this game employed, like, with a new game plus or something, where you could carry over the percentage. Mm-hmm. And as you do more things, it would re like, it would add that little bit to the tally. Yeah. As opposed to start, like, you would have to start fresh. I don't think this game even has a new game plus. Um, I'm uh, almost positive. Well, now I'm, I, I thought I knew, but now that you're saying that, I'm, I'm actually doubting myself. Um, because like, I know that there are supposed to be Final Fantasy X to New Game Plus. Oh, I guess there is a New Game Plus. Uh, allows you to start the game over with all your dress spheres, garment goods, yeah. items, and accessories. Okay. Okay. Which, I mean, My in theory, bad. can maybe make like some of the the in game stuff easier if you're grinding yeah. out some of that stuff early on, because like you know even even like the the small shit like mm-hmm. you know finding unit at the very beginning is nothing compared to like the you know the end game level bosses that you have to fight. Which I even after having played this game many times for the past twenty years, have never gone. I've never gone to like the very bottom of Bavel to get through all those dungeons mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, like I watch that shit on YouTube. And I'll, and, I'll be, and I'll be content with the quote-unquote <laughs> instead of getting the actual uh, perfect one. Yeah. But yeah, like that, that structure just feels very of old. It does not feel like... Like if Ten Two were remade, which I hope it is, I feel like they would do a lot to structure that differently. Yeah, it's like the fact that like you would get different percentages depending on which order you visit people, like mm-hmm. dropping off the Crimson s- Spheres or whatever. Uh, you get different percentages and it's like eh, well, that feels that feels grody to me and there's um, even points there's even like branching points where like okay there's a point we have to side with new yevon or the youth league for something but the game doesn't really tell you that if you side with new yevon you cannot get 100 like the quote-unquote yeah. canonical version of those events is to side with the youth league which it should be because they're not the church uh but yeah it's just like a weird structural thing like that that just kind of feel like the game is at war with itself trying to be the very open thing while also like having a very set path that it wants the story to take. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I didn't realize until I was kind of going back and replaying some stuff and just reading the wiki for this game before this episode. Did you realize Vegna guns a damn butterfly? I, I knew it was bug like. Do, do butter do butterflies have like tough like, you know, well, like it has like the legs and then the wings and everything, mm-hmm. but it maybe like a moth. But it's just I like maybe, I, I never maybe, realized that. Mm, yeah, bug-like is all I think as, as far as my brain went. I think. Yeah, that was. Twas interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, there's like giant pictures of Megan. Yeah, that's damn. That's like a lot more bug-like than I ever mm-hmm. really thought it was. Because like, I really that... only see the. Yeah, it's kind of like a, it seems like this weird amalgamation of a lot of things. Because I think there's even like hooves in that design somewhere, uh, and you know it's got the weird tusk thing. It, it's a lot. There's a lot happening. Yeah. Though I honestly, I would have been totally down to see giant whale sin fight a giant like Mothra. Mm-hmm. That would have been kind of that would have been kind of interesting. Um, what did you think about kind of the past? influence like the shuyin and len stuff inclusion in this game what's your what's your thoughts on on them so i have a it, it, it's interesting to me on a lot of fronts because 
one like as 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 spirit is opening up as people are trying to you know learn about the history that has been suppressed by the powers that be like you know of course they would you know be looking for uh you know hints as to what was happening in the past they'd be looking for these spheres they'd be looking for like any Mm -hmm. sort of historical documentation of the world before i think with shui and specifically it I, i mean it kind of there there are some conversations that the game has that are very they don't ever explicitly get around to saying it, but they kind of hint at it that like Shuyan is very likely the person that the faith are remembering when they dream of Titus, which, you know, that's, there's a whole lot of, you know, uh, mm-hmm. supernatural weirdness with the faith and like how they exist and what they do and how Xanarkin was like a dream, but also not, you know, that's a whole other conversation. But I did think I did like that. They found a way to kind of answer the question of uh, those questions in a way that really pushed Yuna to confront the realities of the situation that she has found herself in. And I think the Lin and Shuyin love story is, you know, kind of beautiful. Like in spite of everything, Mm -hmm. I love, I love tragic shit. I love people that are willing to watch the world burn for their love. That's, that's like, that's, that shit hits the spot. Um, (laughs) And so the way that all of that, you know, tied into the historical significance of their existence in Spira, but also, you know, gets tied up in all of Yuna's feelings that she's wrestling with. If she can ever have this life that she wanted, that she fought for, that she nearly died for. And it all just kind of like, it, again, like it feels very meticulously crafted and like, concise and intentional in a way that mm-hmm. a lot of Final Fantasy storytelling does not usually feel these days, which, cause you know, like the, the sort of um doppelganger trope uh, within Final Fantasy has a propensity and frankness to get kind of convoluted. You like you look at Kingdom Hearts like that is yeah a meme at this point about how people like pretend they don't know who those characters are, um, where I feel like Tentus felt very grounded in the fiction they had already written, and so I just really bought into it and I really loved the themes that it elevated. Yeah, one thing I wish they had do- kind of dove into more. Like I love the idea that the dancer dress sphere or the songstress dress sphere contained lens kind of memories mm-hmm. and could kind of and could take over in different moments and extreme emotional states and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. I wish they kind of had side quests or something with the other dress spheres to give you an you idea know, of totally who, you. who those individuals were like, it was yeah, such I, a cool I, idea mm-hmm. that yeah. only one dress sphere had, which was a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. And cause like, I mean, there are even, there are like some references to like, okay, you watch the sphere and you kind of get a, a sense of who that might be. But then, like, you'll... I'm trying to think of like, a, a specific example. But, like, you'll, okay, you'll watch something. You don't really get any sense of what it is. But, like, oh, here's the... This is the Black Mage dress here, actually. And I was like, but but who was it? Who, who yeah. was this person? Who who am I, like, embodying right now? And, yeah, even some of the examples that they show, where, like, you watch the sphere, like, you don't really see the through line. But, yeah, that's, like... A, that is a missed opportunity. Like, if you want to expand on, on Ten's universe, Square Enix, I, I wish you wouldn't, but, like that's something that's that's worth exploring imo yeah don't do like radio dramas where titus kicks a kicks a bomb and dies Mm -hmm. uh explore the dress sphere lineage and then they bring back sin for no reason yeah because if if you get me started talking about the the final fantasy 10 extended universe we're gonna be here all night (laughs) see i only really know that like yuna and titus broke up and titus kicked a ball and died outside of that i i was not aware that they brought sin back so the ball thing is actually in a light novel that's like technically before the the audio drama but the audio drama is just like very much like yeah sin comes back and like there's a whole like 
metaphysical way that they do that. And it just kind of, that to me feels like paying tribute to the iconography of something rather than mm-hmm. caring about like the world that you've written. You know, like you, you spend two games like really, like you have all these characters like break away from a system and then destroy the thing, just like destroy the thing. And then you're like, let's bring it back because we're playing the hits. I'm just like, what, what if you made literally anything else? Yeah. <laughs> So with Final Fantasy X, did you play much of the much of Blitzball? And to follow up with that, what do you think of Sphere Break and the Blitzball stuff in Ten Two? Uh, I did not play a lot of Blitzball because I don't like that shit. Um, I do not like. I, I think Blitzball is even worse in Ten Two, so I don't mm-hmm. play that shit. Uh, I love Sphere Break. Like if you gave me that on an app, I would play that shit every day. Uh, just like a, it felt like a very. Uh, I just, I just prefer, it was like the the better minigame that they put in between the two games i think is you know blitzball mm-hmm. gets into like so much weird like min maxing and like you have to travel around the world to like find your teammates for you know now you come to luca you you play <laughs> you you play some fear break and it's all it's all there for you like you don't have to you know get into this weird like meta game and it's just it's very simple <laughs> like pick up put down and it gives you one of the coolest recipes in the whole game when you beat everybody in it it's like a math game right Mm-hmm. I didn't spend too much time with Sphere Sphere Break because I hated math as a kid, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. but I just remember it involved like adding or subtracting numbers and spheres or something. Yeah, so you have to like kind of um add up numbers in the surrounding spheres to make up multiples of the one in the center, and it, obviously like like you get more points the more numbers you can uh, add up. Uh, so it's, it, it's a lot of um trying to make sure that you still have spheres when the when the turn is over, but also uh adding up as much as you can to get more points uh, oh okay you know what's the, what's the funny thing i i played it you know in fifth grade when the, when i played the game for the first mm. time i played it to you know get the lady luck dress fair and then i've had a weird phenomenon in recent years where i have not been in school for about four years now i graduated college in 2019 mm-hmm. and i feel like i'm better at all these subjects that I like, I, I feel like I, I would be better now at all the things that I did in school, just being removed from the context of being tested on it. So yeah. I feel like I am better at math now than I was back then, and so I think that's why I like have more fun now playing Fear Break. It's just because like I, you know, the association yeah. of hating math is gone, and now I'm just like, oh, this is a, this is a puzzle. This is a puzzle that I solve. It's fine. Yeah. Man, standardized test. Fuck that. Mm-hmm. Fuck all that stuff. Uh, let me play Fear Break in front of you, then I'll, then give me an A in math. <laughs> there you go. I know my And then uh, I, I'm very much the same with uh, Triple Triad, like strategy, mm-hmm. not math-based, and I don't think I could be quizzed on it, but love Triple mm-hmm. Triad. Um, what's... When someone asks you, or when you think of Final Fantasy X-2, like, what is Final Fantasy X-2 to you? Like, what's the first thing that kind of pops in your mind when someone mentions the game? In terms of, like, mechanically or just... No, just, like, the emotional... Reclamation. Gut reaction. Reclamation is the word that I had to go, because that that game is all about Yuna and Spira reclaiming their lives after it having been stolen from them through systemic means, through religious means. And I think that's always going to be what I associate it with. Like, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. we talked earlier about how, like, I feel like all of that is very much woven into the design of the game, which I think is really interesting to dissect and look at. But just like that's what that game is always going to be, is like watching someone really come into her own after 
being you know oppressed her entire life being told that she can only be one thing and that's always going to be my feeling because like, i think there is mm-hmm. a lot of sentiment around into that it was an unnecessary sequel but i was just like don't you want to see like the fruits of these people's labor like don't you want to see that they were able to like find themselves again after being told who they were for so long yeah i mean just like the growth with waka like the mm-hmm. whole waka be- like having him balance like does he want like being a parent is he's ready to be a father mm-hmm. how can he keep like and all that and then getting past his prejudices without bed and mm-hmm. working through that and kamari and gagazette it's i like that it does dive into a little bit the growth of the rest of the the, the mm-hmm. rest of the previous party members too yeah i will definitely say i'm sorry to lulu they did you so dirty like they they made like her entire role in that game is to be yeah a mother to be waka's wife like and that is bizarre to me considering how you know like how she was like a lone wolf basically yeah. in in the game like she, you know, she was with the party but like she was very much like kept to herself she very much like had a very steeled view of the world which you know she, she grows in the same way that everybody else does in that game in terms of that mm-hmm. but that she just kind of becomes an accessory to waka sucks can't believe they did that um like especially because like final fantasy 10 has a problem with mothers broadly like lulu is one of the only mothers that has a name in this enti- that entire subseries uh like if you, you open up the subtitles it's titus's mom yuna's mom mm-hmm. uh, and you know these people have no names like they or riku's is de- riku's mother's dead uh so to just to see them drag lulu down that path kind of sucks a lot and i i've read some um like their explanation for why lulu is not the third party member i, I think like I think it broadly holds up because like their, their reasoning is that like they want Yuna and Riku to be able to like be very excited and very uh, you know into what's going on, and then Lulu would just kind of like shut that down. Where Pain mm-hmm. is maybe more stoic. She's still very stoic, and but in a different way where she just kind of like shakes her head and laughs when something silly happens and moves on with her day. Um, yeah. So I do feel like in the broad scheme, in in the broad scheme of things. Uh, Lulu is done dirty, and I don't think the problem is that she's not a party member. I think the story that she was getting no. kind of sucks. Yeah, it, it always felt odd to me that her and Waka ended up getting together anyway, because yeah. she had the hots for his younger brother. Yeah, it's, I... That was they, always they weird work, to me. They can work that out in therapy. That's, yeah. that's like, a, a very weird vibe. Um, But yeah, and I think to that point with the her being the party member, she was... The, just the fact the the fact that sin is gone wouldn't remove the kind of big sister almost feeling motherly mm-hmm. v- vibe and feeling that lulu has with yuna just because sin's gone like if she was on the adventure i think to the point you made she would still be that big sister mm-hmm. kind of stern yeah. teacher role which would just make her almost into like a drag of a character. Yeah. And, and I think like to their credit, they think they do a decent enough job of like, okay, you go back to Pesade and you get the chance to like really, you know, sit and talk with Lulu one-on-one about how she's feeling and like what you know she's facing right now. And so like, I do think you know, like to go off on another tangent, like that is sort of the nature of siblings. A lot of the time is that like, you know, yeah. we all go on our own, journeys and we check in with our siblings and that's kind of like what i experienced because like i recently moved to new york and all my family still lives elsewhere and 
I get, I have this check-ins with my, with my siblings and I think maybe that was worthwhile in the, in the grand scheme of things for Yuna to have her own space to like find herself yeah. without her quote unquote, like without her, her family for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even, even though she's literally with her family with, with Riku and brother, <laughs> but like in terms of like the one that she grew up with, the one that has like kind of seen her through her formative years. Yeah. Um, and do you have a favorite moment from Final Fantasy X too? Oh, so many. Um, top five, top three, top three. I'm gonna put the concerts in as one because like both yep, of them makes sense. are like up there. Uh, I really love the ending of. Uh, and by that I mean the, the I mean the very very final scene of the perfect ending of like Yuna standing in the place where T stood in at the beginning of the original ten because I, I do think. Maybe it's buyer's remorse, whatever, or it's just like being like, them, frankly, thematically appropriate for the Final Fantasy X story to finally like let Yuna stand in that spot to let Yuna like claim, reclaim the idea of this is my story because it was always her story, but Tita's kind of like is the player character, so he says it's his story. That's all again mm-hmm. like a whole other thing to unpack. But I really love that final scene of like I, lo- I love the imagery of that final scene of like Yuna being in that spot um, because I, I think that it just kind of does a lot to underline what I think Ten Two is broadly getting at is that like Yuna is has been in the background of other people's existence and stories and like now gets to just like really proudly say like no this was my story actually. Um mm-hmm. number number three. And because like that that was I like as I started to answer I, f- I think that actually is my favorite because it just it's a good concisely one. uh sums up everything that Ten Two means to me, I guess. So yeah, okay, those those are my answers. Final answer. Yeah. Um for me I'll always remember the monkeys taking over Xanarkand mm. and them wanting mm. to turn it into a tourist attraction. Yes. Which is gutting to go back to as an adult that has like yeah. the con like that conceptually understands like when very you know, like when historical places become things that people visit and especially before anyone like before the people that really had to experience it have you know th- before they have passed on before they have you know like while it's still like in front of them happening because like you can imagine that feeling of you went through this like you went through this place that was like traumatic for you and everyone that you love and was this you know a symbol of like, yeah. all the carnage and destruction of everything everyone has gone through all all this time and then you just see people like running around and giggling and taking photos and taking like imagine like people taking selfies in Xanarkin and being like oh I posted mm-hmm. this on my Instagram like look where I was and I'm just like such a brutal brutal it's different. scene in that game yeah um yeah it's definitely some wild moments it's such a, a wide range of emo- mm-hmm. uh, emotions oh, yeah. too um you have your silly moments you have your yeah. more somber very reflective moments um, yeah, it, it's so cool to look at this game without that lens of back when it first like like it had with, when it first released with, oh, this is the first sequel to a Final Fantasy right. game or, oh, well, this is just why is it just like a this is a girl's game right. or this is this isn't Final Fantasy. But being able to like, look at it with such different views, having experienced so much more just in life. Mm. there's so much more to this game than just oh girls in short shorts putting on concerts yeah you know 
Um, it, it's a great game, and I can't it believe is. it's already been twenty years. <laughs> I that when 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 that occurred to me, that blew my mind. Even though like I, I knew that was coming because like we did um, yeah we did our normandy season when ten was going through its twentieth anniversary, and I was like, oh, it's been long mm-hmm. enough. I guess that's right. Which, I mean, but yeah, like I I guess yeah I was eleven. I guess when I played it the first time. Or no, I yeah. was it's different when Wait, someone no, no. just flat out tells know. you it's been twenty years, and as opposed to just thinking, oh, okay, yeah, it's coming up. It's like, conceptually, years I understand old. that. Yeah, man, wild, wild, wild stuff. Ken and I are not the only ones that love and have fond memories of Final Fantasy X-2, so we are going to go around the web and share your own favorite memories and moments with this game. First up, we have Miranda, aka JaegerX7 on Twitter, or X. Uh, she says, The opening and the Thunderplane music were so good. I still listen to that music all the time. Otherwise, for me, it was the grind to get 100% and really see all the sides of the story that made it special to me. Plus, LeBlanc and her cronies are very funny. Shout out to LeBlanc. Yeah. The, the embodiment of, like, the camp. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Want to take the next one? Yeah. Uh, so, Alyssa James, a.k.a. Tech Radar James, on Twitter. Uh, the opening in 1,000 Words concert, absolutely iconic. Also, any scene with LeBlanc and her crew, love me a group of two fail guys and a girl boss leader who was also a fail girl. So true, Bestie. So true. So, so true. Cameron Abbott previous uh, guest here on the university as well, aka at Rev Cabot on Twitter. They say, the scale of Vecnagun was insane. And then the last fight nearing all the moves I knew by heart. One of the best end boss segments of any Final Fantasy game. It was a good one. Vecna- yeah, the Vecnagun like, suite of bosses is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Simone Pond from Reddit. Oh, Christ, 20 years? Yes, we were, we were shocked too. Yeah. Uh, I still remember seeing the commercial for the game on MTV and begging my mom to take me to buy it. Friends, please. Saved up my shore money to buy that bad boy. Uh, I remember bringing the manual to school to read because I bought the game on, like, a Wednesday and I wasn't allowed to play video games until the weekend, Friday night. Teacher ended up taking it because I wasn't paying attention to class. Damn, now I'm going to play it again. I had a similar story to that, too, because I brought the, the strategy guide to me, <laughs> or to the school with me, every single day for, like, a, a, a school year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like I read it as if I hadn't read it all of it before, and was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm this time I'm gonna learn something new about this game that I've been dedicating months of my life to. Shout out to instruction book. I miss instruction mm-hmm. books and like strat and strategy guys. Yep. I miss them so so much. That was such a weird like. Now that I'm thinking about it, like I did that with a lot of games. Actually. Like I brought the instruction book to school with me mm-hmm. for no real reason. Like I have a vivid memory of like my. Uh, instruction book for Sonic Heroes getting like torn <laughs> in my desk because I like why did I bring it I don't fucking know <laughs> I I remember always being so excited after buying a game in the store and like being driven back home just tearing open the plastic wrap and mm. diving into the instruction book um, that was that was my vice next up we have user no underscore main 6631 from reddit they say yeah it hits harder now that i have my own children that back when i was a teenager and play or it hits harder now that i have my own children than it did back when i was a teenager and played for the first time 
Also, Waka has the most character growth out of all the characters in 10 and 10 2. From closed-minded Elbeds hating Yevon loyalist to actual human being who can admit he was wrong and did many mistakes. And hey, that's more than a lot of religious zealots can claim, so. It's true. It's true. Uh, last up, we have Intrepid East 1 from Reddit. I ruined the combat by playing the original Japanese release where you can get the accessory the less you hit 9,999. When a critical help at the beginning of chapter 2. Oh, wow. Um, then I got the accessories that turn off random encounters and just laughed through the whole game like that. In the Western release, you can only get the accessory later, and in the remaster, they nerfed it by making it by making you rage so you couldn't use multi-hit attack to deal 100 damage. Directly, the story of you know working on when the rest of the world was good, but ruined by the true ending when the game should have focused more on you accepting from moving forward. No, she can have nice things. She can want things for herself. Damn it. <laughs> She can have nice things. Uh, and also, shout out to Catnip. That was the accessory. But mm, yeah. Thank you to each and every one of you who has submitted your favorite memories and moments. There has been there have been so many of you. This has gotten perhaps one of the most, if not the most, responses over on Reddit. So I will be sure to share down in the show notes the links where you can s- submit your own favorite memories and moments of Final Fantasy X-2 with us. Can't wait yeah. to read them. Really, really good stuff. Now, after you've heard Ken and I talk about this wonderful game, you might be wondering where you can get it yourself. Well, luckily, this is a pretty easy game to find. You can buy it digitally on the PlayStation Store, the Nintendo eShop, on Steam, and I think it's also on Xbox? I believe so, yeah. I think so. I think this was one of the ones they brought over, but for the 10 and it comes with 10 and 10 too. Mm-hmm. Um, but on Steam, you can get it for 30 bucks. eShop, for some reason, it's 50 bucks. On the PlayStation Wild. Store, it's 25 bucks. It's all over the place. But if you want an original physical edition for the from the PlayStation 2, a loose copy of the disc will run you $6.25. A complete in-box copy will net you $6.44. And if you can find it right now, it's saying, according to price charting, a new comp- new sealed copy of Final Fantasy X-2 goes for 40 bucks. So not oh, bad. I have, I have a funny story, actually, yeah. about, the, uh, the, about a loose disc and Final Fantasy X-2. So about, like, I guess it was about fifth grade. Uh, my mother started to get like really suddenly very concerned about the video games my brother and I were playing. And... It didn't really feel like she had any criteria as to like what her problem was. <laughs> she was just like, uh, I, I, on a whim, she mm-hmm. would just take shit. Uh, and Tensu was one of them at the time. Uh, but I had taken the game to a friend's house and forgotten it there on the way home. But she mm-hmm. was still like, oh, I have to, you know, steal all my children's shit. So she went to that friend's and like to be clear like she was friends with that friend's mother so like she wasn't like she just went to one of my friend's house and was like i'm taking the shit and so like, she went there to go see her friend and then also took the disc there but she shoved it in her purse like oh n- no case uh and so by the time that like i got it back maybe like a couple years later or not even a couple years but, like it was like you know however however long it, it took her to get off this kick of like trying to take our shit um the disc would not work uh, so I kind of just had this empty 10-2 case for a very long time on my shelf. I'd already, like, beaten the game and was, like, not mm-hmm. actively playing it, so I was, like, I mean, I was upset, like, rightfully so, but it wasn't like I didn't see the ending because of this. But, uh, like, one year, 
I, it had to have been like in high school or something where I had like a little bit more money that was just mine. I was like mm-hmm. in a GameStop and they just had, you know, like, I don't know if GameStop still has this where like they had that, those shelves of just like spare discs in like sleeve cases. Uh, and I found 10 for like four bucks and just bought it there. And I was like, and I put it back in the case and all was right with the world once again. Just like a very core memory of like, uh, of one of the times of like my mother, like trying to like take control of the games that I played and that just being like one of like the, Mm. very tangible experiences of oh like this has like a put a mark on something that i very much love uh that is like i remember and like maybe i should unpack in therapy someday but that we'll save that for another day <laughs> just make sure you blare a thousand words or uh memories of wave mm-hmm, light mm-hmm, waves mm-hmm. while you do it um no you know it you know it now let's say you have found yourself a copy of Final Fantasy X-2 and you're kind of lost. You don't know where to, what to do. You need some help. Well, Ken and I are here to help you provide and provide you a little bit of tips or advice to set you on your way. So, Ken, what tips or advice would you give to brand new players to tend to? You know, it sucks because like you took what is like the the quintessential tip for this game. So, I'll, I, I will say, break it. I, I can get another one. I got, well, no, fine. Okay, I, I got another I got another one. We're fine. Um, I would say my like primary tip is actually try out all the dress spheres. Like give each of them a shot, see how they can fit into the strategies that you have already. Uh, because even stuff that kind of feels like it overlaps a bit and uh doesn't really feel like it has the same utility as like something that you might have already had for like, you know, several hours in the game. Um, it's always worth giving a shot and just like, kind of see how things <clears throat> excuse me. Uh to see how things kind of like work together uh and experiment. Like the whole like premise of the dress sphere. Uh, system is to experiment is to try things out and see how things work in tandem together so that is my thing it's just like don't get too beholden to one or two for each character you know great advice great advice and mine is and we touched on this earlier in the episode episode if you want to try for that hundred percent mark getting that platinum trophy or seeing that secret ending just read a guide there are way too Mm. many convoluted and missable things that will prevent you from hitting the mark without using that guide i honestly don't know how someone would have done this back in the day without a guide uh aside from replaying this game just over and over and looking looking on it uh one of the times but yeah it's good times we are on to one of my favorite parts of each episode the monster or enemy of the week so ken what enemy are you bringing to the arena this week so i went with the barrel eye fight in the bell, which was one of like, you know, I, I, I had plenty of difficult encounters in my time playing RPGs as a young age, but that is like a core memory for me of like a fight that just came out of nowhere and made me have to go back and grind. Because so Tensu does this thing, which I, I think is ultimately like a, a problem, where it has it uses positioning in you know in the turn-based arena as a way to kind of like determine what attacks hit and who they actually hit. So an attack that is ostensibly targeting one character can maybe hit a character that is near them, but you cannot control where characters stand on the field. So Barrelite has a lot of like area of effect attacks that are so like incredibly powerful, but also kind of like there's a lot of collateral damage that happens. So there's a lot of maintaining your party in a way that you don't usually have to because a lot of you know, standard enemies don't actually attack that way um mm-hmm. 
But yeah, it's just like it, it was such a it's a very dramatic moment in the game too that has always stuck with me because like you're getting a sense that pain has this established relationship with other people that you don't know about yet and she doesn't want to talk about. But like so it kind of feels like kind of feels like you walked in on something as you know, where uh it's very dramatic very fast and then you suddenly have this like incredibly challenging fight. And I remember back in the day when me and a lot of my friends in at school were playing it. And I had like this one guy that was like very much a tryhard that was like, oh yeah, I went there and then you killed him in one shot. And I was like, okay, that's a lie. But thank you for trying to spice up my day with your story. <laughs> um, but yeah, just like a, a very, it, 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 it feels like the moment where the game just like the difficulty spikes and like it's kind of a, almost like a, a gatekeeper for the rest of the game to be like, oh, okay, if you can't handle this, go back and come back and try again later mm -hmm. before, before you move on to everything that comes after. It's a good one. But like Ken said, you will fight Bear Lie in the Bevel Underground. Uh, he, when you fight him, he will be level 24 with 30 or 3,380 health and 540 NP. His strength is 71, magic 54, defense 42, magic defense 4. He's fast with an agility of 135. He has an evasion of 33 and a luck stat of 4. When you beat him, he will grant you 1,000 experience, 10 AP, 1,300 gil. Or you can pilfer him, uh, pilfer his gill for two thousand. He has uh, robbed the church. His, yep, you know it. He's uh, basically uh, no real elemental affinities to speak of, no real resistances or weaknesses. Um, he will draw. His common drop is a pearl necklace, and the rare, along with the rare drop, you can steal a charm bangle from him, or and uh, he cannot be bribed. So there you go for Barely's stats. He is the Praetor of New Yevon. His actions are decidedly suspicious. Still, he seems to have his reasons. So be careful when you encounter Barely. Well, that is going to do it for another episode here at RPG University. Thank you so much, Ken, for coming on. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope I didn't ramble too much. Oh, not at all. That's what the show's about. It's, it's about those rambles and who knows where the conversation will take us mm. that's part of the fun but where can people find you online what do you have cooking go ahead and plug your stuff yeah you can find me every day over at kotaku i'm a staff writer over there uh i also do like i said earlier normandy fm which is a uh, it used to be a bi-weekly retrospective podcast but we are kind of uh, you know life stuff's happening so we're kind of just getting to episodes we can get to them uh but that other retrospective podcast that i do with eric van allen over the Structoid, uh where we go book club style through different games uh, if the, if the, the name didn't tip you off, it started out as a Mass Effect podcast. Uh, we went on to do Dragon Age, Shade Empire, The Last of Us, Cyberpunk 2077. We're in the middle of a near season. Uh, and of Ooh, course, we did Final Fantasy X and X2. Um, which, I, in all honesty, the Final Fantasy X and X2 season, one of my favorites. Uh, so if, if the thoughts that I just said into the microphone were at all interesting to you, we have several episodes dedicated to both of those games where we just go beat by beat through both of those games. And yeah, uh, I guess that's, that's me as far as the internet is concerned. Perfect. Be sure to go check out all of Ken's stuff. Normandy FM, he's an immensely brilliant writer. Check out his oh stuff God. on Kotaku. Thank he you. is, he's, he spews gold. Like his, his stuff is wonderful. So definitely check out and give his stuff a read. 
But thank you to each and every one of you who's listened today. Be sure to rate and review us on your preferred podcast services. I'd really appreciate it. If you have an RPG you would like us to feature on an episode, tweet at underscore RPG University with the hashtag RPGU with your suggestion. Or you can share your own favorite RPGs directly with me on Twitter at Professor RPG. As always, everybody, stay safe, stay healthy, be kind to one another. Class dismissed. <laughs>